0: Amazing, amazing. Well, hey church, can we just stay standing just for one moment? Um, I'd love for us to just pray before we dig into the word together. So if you're comfortable, would you close your eyes and even raise your hands in this moment? And as we pray, God, I thank you right now for this word that we're gonna get to unpack together. God, I thank you that you have a message uniquely for every single one of us tonight. And Father, I just pray that you would open up our hearts in a way that we might receive it. Ultimately, at the end of this, I just pray that we would come to a moment where we would just draw closer to you, that the the line would blur between where we end and you begin in our hearts, and we would just become more and more one with you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much. You can all take your seats. Uh, Hey, right now, we're in a series of messages which we have titled The Invitation, and Really what we've done is we've wanted to dedicate the month of July talking about the invitation that God brings us to grow in deeper relationship with Him. Uh, Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or five decades, we know that God has a unique plan for you and for your future. And in it, it requires a deeper knowledge of Him, for us to grow more in Him, for us to worship Him Even more, Um, We know that God is an eternal being, which means it will take nothing short of eternity for us to learn and grow and to understand who He is. And we also believe that the best way to live your life is to live a life in knowledge and in learning more and more about Him. And so really tonight, what I want to do as we continue along these series of messages is to ask the question, what happens when we don't feel worthy of worshipping God? Or what happens when we don't feel like we belong in God's presence? Uh, And with this, at the end of this message, I I really hope that for every single one of us, we will come to a moment where we would just be in utter surrender before God. That anything that might be holding us back from fully worshipping God tonight, we'll be able to lay down at His feet so that we might get to know Him all the more. That we might be able to experience the peace and the glory that he has readily available for us. And to help us in it, we're gonna be reading from the book of Second Samuel uh, chapter nine. Book of Second Sa- Samuel chapter nine. And the, the title of this message is, When the Dead Dog Met God. When the Dead Dog Met God. Uh, but first, I wanna ask you this question. Have you ever felt out of place before? Have you ever had a moment where you just felt like you didn't belong? Um, Recently, uh, my wife Liana and I, we got to go on a trip to the UK and it was an incredible time that we got to share together and we absolutely packed it. Like every single day, we just did something different and we just do not regret a single day of it. It was phenomenal. But um, perhaps one of the highlights of the, the trip was when we got to go to Windsor Castle. Now, if you don't know about this, this is effectively the Queen's house. This is where she lives at the moment. And it was an incredible moment where we got to really just walk throughout the the buildings and get to enjoy the history and the architecture. And uh, one thing that I just thought was amazing, and I just had to send this to Pastor Nick, was uh, if we can get the video up. There is, by the way, just so you know, a Nando's (laughs) right across the road, along with the Maccas from Windsor Castle. Uh, If you don't know, Pastor Nick loves Nando's. If you ever want to get in his good books, just just shout him Nando's and he'll be your best friend for life. And I just think that is absolutely charming. And I have no doubt that the Queen does Macca's runs at least once a week. Amen. But um, as we were walking through the building, we were just Absolutely in awe of all of the history and all of the, the uh, ceremonies that took place. And perhaps one thing that I didn't expect that we got to do was to actually get to walk through the buildings, actually get to go inside. And um, they didn't let us take photos, so I can't show any on the screen, but I just couldn't help but be in awe and wonder every single time I got to walk through a different room. Got to see... Just a thousand years worth of history of art and sculptures and paintings and literature. And just to get to think of the history of the people who must have walked through those doors, who walked through those halls. We got to see the crown that that uh, and the throne room. And we got to see so many things with so much history. And even though it was an incredible experience that left us absolutely shocked that we got to be there and that we got to experience that, I couldn't help but get a sense of, man, this is not my place. I do not belong here at all. And that was definitely one of the better experiences of feeling like, man, I do not belong here. But perhaps you've felt uh, different experiences throughout life. Um, I'm I'm going to shamelessly say that there have been uh, many a time where I've been absolutely busing for the bathroom and I'm in a public space and in my haste, I forget to read the signs. So then as I go in, I come to see the people around me and realize this is not where I belong. I am the only guy in here so I'm going to walk back with a very red face. Or perhaps you've been in a work meeting and you thought it was about one thing, but then you realise that it was about another. And so you prepared for this one subject and you're all good for that. But then they start talking about something completely different and you go, oh my goodness, I do not belong here. Perhaps you've walked into a, a class and you thought it was your subject, but then once again, the rooms have changed last minute. So now you realize I do not Belong here, Or perhaps this has happened in more serious moments, perhaps uh, when it comes to church, there's been a moment where you've walked through a church building and for one reason or another, whether it's something you've said in yourself or something that someone has said over you, you say, I do not belong here. And uh, if we're not careful, we can start to think that not just about church, but also about the presence of God, where we start to feel uncomfortable with the very thought of being before God, and we start to think to ourselves, I do not belong here. And I want to let you know tonight that whether you feel like you don't belong in a church or in the presence of God, that is a complete and utter lie. Maybe you've told yourself that because you have an idea on what a Christian looks like or what it means to follow God. And you just go, that, that's not who I am. That is not where I belong. So you discount what it means to follow God. But I want to let you know that just as you are, you belong in the presence of God. You belong here in church. You belong here, a part of this family. And so with that, we're gonna learn from the story of a man named Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. If you want a baby name, just saying. It's got three H's in it. That's pretty good. Mephibosheth. And um, as we read this story, it's, it's a conversation between him and King David and before we read through all of that I just want to provide a little bit of context for not only these two individuals but really for Israel as a whole because at this point they'd only officially been a nation for a few decades and it had been a very messy couple of decades. You see God had set them apart and called them to be the nation of God and to be unlike any other nation before them. And so with that, he had a desire to be their king, that he would rule over those people and they would be the representatives of God to the rest of humanity. However, who knows that anything filled with people means that there's gonna be a few flaws in it. And so for Israel, they almost immediately say, hey, we want a human king. We wanna be just like all of the other nations. And and God says, no, 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 I don't want you to have a human king. I want you to have me as your king. And so after a bit back and forth, he finally relents and they pick out a king named Saul. But the, the problem with Saul is that when he got into a position of power, he became a psychopath. He lost it. He was a good godly man to begin with, but then eventually it turned out he didn't quite have the character for this position. So God looks throughout all of Israel and and goes, I need to find a new king. And he finds a little shepherd boy named David. And so he sets him apart and he calls him to become the new king of Israel. But David had to wait. So after several, several years, David continues just living his life, serving God, doing his best. And eventually he finds himself serving King Saul, being in the very palace of the king that he's about to take over. And in that, he's, it's said that he serves Saul so well that he becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And the Bible describes them, they, they were almost closer than brothers. They were absolutely inseparable. And in fact, Jonathan, despite being the heir to the throne, recognised the anointing that was on David. And so he served David, recognising that he was going to become the next king. But not only did it become apparent to Jonathan that he'll be the next king, it eventually became apparent to Saul. So Saul became jealous and outraged and David had to flee. And uh, within that time, Israel went through just utter hell they, they went through civil wars and wars with neighbouring countries and uh, eventually within a battle, there's, there's a battle that Saul and Jonathan are both in with a neighbouring country and they're both killed and the news spreads out to uh, Jonathan's family and his son Mephibosheth who's only a child at that point has to flee. So the Bible accounts that the nurse picked up Mephibosheth and ran and ran and ran and tripped and dropped him and he was paralyzed from the waist down. So here's this child whose life is a complete tragedy and not only is his parents killed and then he's crippled, but now he has to live in a new regime and he now becomes the enemy And so after a few years that David becomes king, he says, I remember my my friend, my brother, Jonathan. If only I could do something in remembrance and in honour to him. And someone says, well, Jonathan does have a son and his name is Mephibosheth. So David calls him in and, and we'll pick it up from here where in verse six, it says, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all of the land of Saul, your father and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, and pay attention to this church. What is your servant that you should show regard to a dead dog such as I? Then they call, a king called Ziba, Saul's servant. And he said to Ziba, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table." In this account, we see a radical act of love from King David who without probably knowing it showed really what the gospel message is thousands of years before Jesus ever even walked the earth. Despite the, the pain and the suffering that this family had, had caused him, he still finds the love of God to overflow through him so much that he's able to not only forgive but to bless his enemy's family. And as we read this we can see as well that Mephibosheth was a man that wasn't only broken physically but was broken in every single sense of the word uh, of the word. And with this we can see ourselves in the story of Mephibosheth that despite the amount of times that I have made myself God's enemy Despite the amount of times that I have gone against God, despite the amount of times that I have hurt and broken God, he still finds enough love and grace to pour out his blessing upon me. So as we look at Mephibosheth, we can see uh, two things that we often find in ourselves when it comes to things getting in the way with us experiencing the fullness of the presence of God. The first one is fear. Mephibosheth was no doubt a man utterly terrified, constantly filled with fear. I I don't know about you, but I'm not exactly an expert on how to go about a revolution. But generally my understanding is when one government or one kingdom takes over the other, the previous government or regime is not going to keep their heads much longer. Oftentimes, we find throughout history that the regime that was previous is going to get rid of as soon as possible. So no doubt there was this man who lived in terror that one day maybe his neighbours are going to write him out. Man, one day maybe David's going to figure out about who I am or he's going, to, he's going to know of my existence and that's going to be the complete and utter end of me. So with that we see Mephibosheth lived an anonymous life. He lived a life completely under the radar, just hoping and begging that he wouldn't be found out at all so that he might be able to just keep what little of his life that he had left. And with that, we can see that oftentimes fear causes us to hide. Fear causes us to hide from our king. Mephibosheth spent his entire life just praying and hoping that David won't find out about him. That his king wouldn't find out about him. And so it is with us. When we are so filled with fear, we can just pray and hope that God Himself will not find out about us. And the thing I found about fear is it, it works in a way that we perhaps don't expect it to. When we think of being scared of God, there's perhaps an archaic idea that we come to that that if God finds out about me, he's gonna, he's gonna smite me. And, it's gonna be a big lightning bolt and that's gonna be the end of me. But we know that that's not the case and, and you're you know we're smart. So we know that God knows all things. So if God already knows this about me, then I don't really have anything to hide. But here's the thing is that fear comes so much more subtly than that. Because what, what i found in myself is when I'm, when I'm fearful of going into the presence of God, I'm not necessarily afraid of God, but I'm afraid of a circumstance I find in front of me. And because of that circumstance I find in front of me, it doesn't make me afraid of God, it just makes me uncomfortable around God. And the, the, the longer I wait between, between taking this fear towards God, the more and more uncomfortable I start to feel about the thought of going into his presence. And we can find it where, where we might have a, a spare moment to pray, but there's just that thought in our mind of going, yeah, but then you're gonna have to deal with this thing. So then we, instead of going to the one thing that can remove it for us, we run away from it. Or perhaps you find yourself in church and the worship leader says, hey, let's raise our hands, church. And you just get so filled with insecurity of the thought of worshiping God. And it's not anything to do with God, but it's just simply because of the fear that we find ourselves in. But despite the fear, we find that the King still invites us. The King still draws us in. The king still goes, I I wanna know you. I wanna learn about you. I wanna bring you back into my presence. The second thing we find that Mephibosheth was utterly filled of was shame. Ashamed of the, the past that had gone before him. The things that his family had done to his people. A man who was born and raised in Israel, but didn't have a home in Israel a man who'd been completely rejected by his own people. And uh, with this, we, we see this almost spill out where despite the grace that he's being given, in verse eight, we see Mephibosheth call himself a dead dog. And um, when, when I first read this, uh, I had a lot of questions. First of all, what is a dead dog? Essentially what that means is you're useless and we need to get rid of you. And when I first read it, I, I assumed that he was talking about his, his condition where for, for at the time um, to be paralysed meant that you couldn't work, which meant you couldn't earn an income and it was such a different world where, where essentially he had to resort to, to begging for his whole life. So without, uh, without any means of being able to really live or earn a good life, he might've come to realise that he was nothing but a dead dog. But what I found is that there's only three times that this term dead dog is used in the entire Bible. And, and this is absolutely fascinating because it shows us a much, much deeper story where in, in all of the three times, the term dead dog is used in conversation with his family. We, we see it even later in a few chapters, one of Mephibosheth's cousins tries to attack David and they arrest him and call him a dead dog, which infers that this family was known to be a dead dog. That was the title, that was the name that was given to them. That was something that was spoken over them for their entire lives. Church, I wonder what title has been given to you that God hasn't given to you? What title have you accepted that people have spoken over you, that you've spoken over you? Have you thought of yourself or has someone thought of you as unlovable? as useless, as worthless, as incapable, as incompetent, as nothing but a failure or a mistake, I want to let you know, perhaps you have accepted that into your heart. Perhaps you think yourself of it, but God calls you something greater. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. And He, despite your shame, still draws you in. The King is still inviting you. The King is still inviting you. He sees it. He sees it all. And yet, he still brings you in. And out of this, and this is the the most beautiful part of this story, and this is the most beautiful part of our own story, is that in the presence of God, in the presence of the king, he, he gives three things. First of all, he restores, he restores, he gives back the old estate. He gives back what was lost, he gives back what was taken. Church, what have you lost tonight? What have you lost from previous years? Perhaps you're here and you're just completely and utterly consumed with all that you had. Perhaps you can't help but think of all the, the, the broken or lost relationships or the broken or lost finances, opportunities the lost zeal and excitement for life. But God, nonetheless, He's gonna restore. He restores. In fact, God promises, hey, I'm gonna give that back to you. Everything that was lost, you will have returned to you. I wanna give it back to you and I wanna bless you. God is here and saying, I wanna restore to you what you have lost. You don't have to to be uh, mourning for it anymore because He wants to provide it back to you. What He also does is He renews. He restores, but He also renews. Hey church, do you believe that our future days are better than the former? That our greatest days are indeed ahead of us. I wanna let you know that there is more and there is new for you. It is time, church, for us to stop dwelling on the past or worrying about what might happen in the future because right now, God has the new for you right now in this house and in this moment. God wants to give you new. We see that that Mephibosheth was given not just his oldest state, but opportunity to grow. So I wanna ask you, church, what is in front of you right now? What's the new in front of you that you can take that God has provided you with so that you might be able to see a renewal in your life, a renewal in your family, a renewal in this community? And finally, not only does God restore, not only does he relate I'm um, uh, renew, but most importantly, he relates. What's perhaps the most fascinating thing about this invitation that the king gives Mephibosheth? It isn't just that he gives him what was lost. It isn't just that he blesses him, but most importantly, he offers relationship with him. The number one thing that the king wants from you is just simply relationship. Yeah. He invites you not only into his presence, but he invites you at his table. Yeah. He invites you in a moment where, where you can have any identity or any old thing that you've, you've put over yourself or other people have put over you, and he removes that and instead gives you a seat and says, no, you are now my son. You are now my daughter. We see Mephibosheth, a man who went from being a priest, uh, sorry, a prince to being a peasant back to being a prince once again. He was given a brand new identity. And what's even most fascinating is that practically Mephibosheth couldn't go back and forth to the palace and then back to his land then back to the palace and back to his land every day. So he just ended up living with David. He ended up living with his king because here's the thing is that when the king offers you a place at his table, It isn't just for a portion of your life, but it is so that your whole life might be in the presence of Him, so that you might be able to commune with Him every single day, that you might be able to get to know Him deeper and more and more. And and I might finish off with this. The, The beautiful thing about sitting at a table is that you're brought as an equal to everyone else. For this man who lived basically his entire life with a condition that that wasn't his fault and he couldn't, he couldn't help it, nonetheless was completely identified for. When he sat at a table, it meant that it was completely covered. It meant that in the presence of his king, it was completely covered. He was one in the same with everybody else. So for us to, to receive this, to receive this relationship with God, he only requires one thing from us. And we we see Mephibosheth, he, he does it immediately. He just simply falls down at his face before his king and he surrenders. And I can't, help but sense just what that moment must've been like. Because yes, his his family might've surrendered and the people around him might've surrendered, but for him, he was still fighting a war. He still thought himself as enemies towards the king. And it was finally in that moment that he got to surrender before his king. And through that, receive the promises and receive the things that the king wanted to give him.